1: Mistruths or misconceptions, and it is getting us into a world of hurt.
0: Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation.
1: Indeed, and welcome to the Kim Munson Show. Thank you so much for joining us. You're each treasured, uh, you're valued, you have purpose today. Strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. My friends, you were made for this moment. And thank you to this team that I get to work with. That's producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Charlie, Jen, and all the people, Echo, and all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. And check out my website. That's Kim Munson, dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at com. And thank you to all of you who support us. We are an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. My friends of. Something's a good idea. You shouldn't have to force people to do it. It's never compassionate to take other people's stuff, whether it's their rights, their property, their freedom, or their livelihood, or their opportunity, via force. And that's with a weapon policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, fear, coercion, government-induced inflation, or the World Economic Forum Davos Globalist Elites Agenda. And uh, we have been doing some very special shows for you this week of Independence Day and thrilled to have on the line with me Bill Federer. He is the host of the American Minute and uh, a great author, has written many books. Bill Federer, welcome to the show.
2: Jim, great to be with you.
1: So today, the theme, we've been talking a lot about America, the American idea, this week. And America is so unique because America is the only country throughout the history of mankind that was founded on an idea. So, Bill Fetter, what is so great about the American idea?
2: Well, if I were to sum it up in one word, it would be individual. And all other structures of government and culture are group-based, where your identity is with a group. Uh, they're called honor-shame cultures. Uh, if you're accepted by the group, your worth as a person goes up. If you're ostracized and kicked out, uh, your worth goes down. Uh, in Islam, they call it the Ummah, the community. And the, being honored by your community is so valuable that if their daughter embarrasses them, they'll even murder their own daughter to regain respect in their community. Um, and it's the default setting for human nature. Uh, kids want to fit in, in the classroom, they want to wear the right tennis shoes, uh, you know, and then nobody wants to be kicked out of the clique uh, and not sit at the lunch table and, and um, it's being manipulated by those in power uh, of being accepted or rejected and now it's done online and they actually have quite a, a very well-researched and uh, Experimented on uh, how people uh, will adjust their behavior if it looks like they're uh, in the minority. There's a study done called Spiral of Silence where people will self center their views if they think they're in the minority. And um, I actually wrote a book called Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present, and I uh, spend a whole uh, several chapters talking about this um manipulation of the group and it's it's quite fascinating it goes back to marketing and if you like i can share a couple of these ideas
1: Yeah, let's do i think that's important because we have been i through covid we've seen such a manipulation of the population so yes let's uh, let's delve into that
2: yeah so your uh, question what makes america unique it's that you have a right and a value as an individual apart from a group and this idea goes all the way back to ancient israel uh, they came out of Egypt, where there was the Pharaoh, and uh, you had to be uh, have the favor, favor of the Pharaoh um, to have value, and if not, you you were killed, and when the children of Israel come out of the promise come out of Egypt into the promised land for four hundred years, they had no king, and they had the law which says there's no respect of persons in judgment, rich are poor, everyone's treated the same. It's the beginning of the concept of equality that you have a worth and a value as an individual apart from a group, and um, that gave birth to individual rights, individual freedoms, and then it gave birth to a new purpose of government to guarantee your individual rights and freedoms. If there's no, there's no creative given rights, then where do your, where do your rights come from? The group, and uh, what what the, the state giveth, the state can take it away it. And um, But this manipulating the group, it's um, look back to marketing. In the 1800s, there was Sears catalog, Wells Fargo wagon, and they would list every possible detail about a sewing machine. But then in the early 1900s, they had magazine ads, and the impression would be to make it look like everyone's using a product. that um, And the classic is Crisco. Nobody knew what was in it but they ran these slick ads that made it look like everybody's using it, delicious food, and it was so successful, it put out of business the lard industry. And um, But what is Crisco? It's, um, it's cotton seed oil, and they didn't want to put that on there because they would take these harvests of cotton in the deep south and have mountains of these seeds that would mush into the black monkey oil that they would use in factories and machinery. Nobody ate that stuff, but somebody had the idea of bleaching it, And um, selling it, we've all eaten it, and so they actually hid what was in it. They made up a term called vegetable-based, and um, so you go from knowing everything about a sewing machine, but nothing about Crisco, but you're buying it because it looks like everybody's using it. And this idea of keeping up with the Joneses—they had a cartoon in the New York newspaper that made fun of this—that everybody's buying stuff just because they see other people having it. And the person that really perfected this was Edward Bernays. Edward Bernays—he was the nephew of Sigmund Freud, uh, the psychologist. And in 1928, Edward Bernays wrote a book called Propaganda. And he talks about women go into a department store and think they're buying shoes when they're not. He says the shoes were picked out for them by the marketing executive who paid the actors to put them on, who paid the photographer to take the pictures, who paid for the magazine ads. And the ladies buy the magazine see the shoes and, and they buy them. And so he says, a large manufacturer of women's shoes as a popular actress wear the shoes, the feet, the fashion spreads. The man who injected this idea into the shoe industry was ruling women in one department of their social lives. And so Edward Bernays goes on, today the minority has discovered a powerful help in influencing the majority to mold the minds of the masses. They find in propaganda a tool which is increasingly powerful, regimenting the public mind. And then he changed the name propaganda to public relations. And he wrote a book called The Engineering of Consent. So in America, we're a government con- by the consent of the governed. But what if you could manipulate the c- consent to the governed uh, right through these marketing tactics? So Edward Bernays says the manu- manipulation of the opinion of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of the country. And so another person, Norm Chomsky, wrote a book called The Manufacturing of Consent. Uh, Oswald Spengler, a historian, said, democracy has become a weapon of the moneyed interests. It uses the media to create the illusion that there is consent to the governed. And um, then you have the Spanish American War, uh, where the the media realized how powerful that they could sway public opinion when it comes to foreign policy. Um, In Cuba, the people were being treated terrible by Spain, but America didn't care. Uh, And so, William Randolph Hearst, who had the New York Journal, and Joseph Pulitzer, who had the New York World, they used their newspapers to push a foreign policy of going into Cuba and helping the Cubans, and uh, they would print their newspapers on inexpensive paper that would yellow quickly, and so they ended up calling this "yellow press" journalism, and it worked. and um, And so, uh, the, the classic is before they could print photographs in newspapers, they would have a uh, artist draw etchings, and so the artist that William Randolph Hearst sent to Cuba was Frederick Remington. And he tells Remington, you furnish the pictures and I'll furnish the war. And so this idea that, gee, the, the media is more powerful. Um, this, is, uh, this manipulating of the masses has a origin that goes all the way back to Greece, that uh, you have these democratic city-states. Demo means people, crossing means rule, and in a democracy, the people rule. Uh, the word for city is polis, like metropolis, and so politics is the business of the city, and they would have 6,000 citizens in Athens, and they would all get together and decide what's what they're going to do in the city. But if you had an agenda, how do you pitch it to the whole city? I mean, do you go to 6,000 people and pitch it? No, so they invented something called theater, where they get the whole city together in an outdoor amphitheater, and they would put on plays where comedies, tragedy, satires, where they would ridicule and buffoon certain points of view and honor and extol other points of view. And from that time till now, theater is always political in a country where it's the people who make the decisions, and you're wanting to influence the people. And um, so the um, the story goes on. Now, a little scripture here. Um, Pilate wanted to release Jesus, washes his hands, says he didn't do anything wrong, and uh, the chief priests moved the people that they should rather release Barabbas. And, uh, and so then Pilate says, what should I do with him, the king of Jews? And it says, and to content the people, Pilate delivered Jesus unto them to be crucified. So here you have the majority being influenced by the minority of chief priests, And so this idea of a minority controlling the majority uh, through swaying public opinion uh, is um, pretty well established historically. And so um, if you think of it as a domino effect, um, in America, the country is controlled by laws. Laws are controlled by politicians. Politicians are controlled by voters. Voters are controlled by public opinion. And public opinion is controlled by the media, and and then add to that education. Uh, so media, sort of a short run; education is a long run. And then throw in the church; it does influence public opinion. And then the internet, because all of them are using the internet. And so these um, manipulating of these entities in society, uh, a socialist that talked about manipulating them was named um, Antonio Gramsci. And he uh, was a socialist who was different than other socialists. At the time, in the early 1930s, you had uh, the National Socialist Workers' Party, which is Nazi. Uh, you had the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, and they were all wanting to institute socialism with tanks. And uh, Antonio Gramsci said, no, you, you can't do the front-door approach. you got to do the back-door approach. you got to take a long march through the institutions. you got to rot the Western civilization from the inside, get rid of this idea of the individual. And it's going to take a long time. And uh, so in 1937, while he's dying in the Italian prison, uh, he writes his prison notebooks. And Antonio Gramsci says, The civilized world has been thoroughly saturated with Christianity for 2,000 years. Any country grounded in Judeo-Christian values cannot be overthrown until those roots are cut. Um, he says, socialism is precisely the religion that must overwhelm Christianity. In the new order, socialism will triumph by capturing the culture via infiltration of schools, universities, churches, and the media, transforming the consciousness of society. So he's talking about this uh, influencing, the getting control of the, the influencers, so to speak, in the media, in churches, universities, schools.
1: Yes. Okay, okay, Bill. Boy, um, this is fascinating. I'm talking with Bill Federer. He is um, the host of the American Minute and an author of many different books. Uh, We're going to go to break. Before we do that, though, the show comes to you because a lot of great sponsors. One of those is Hooters Restaurants. They have five locations. That's Loveland, Westminster, Aurora, Lone Tree, and Colorado Springs. And they have all kinds of specials for both lunch and uh, happy hour, Monday through Friday. But uh, how they become sponsors of mine, it's really a story about freedom and capitalism and free markets. We've got the story on my website. Check it out there at KimMunson.com. We're going to go to break. We'll be right back with Bill Federer.
3: Inflation is rocking our boats, especially for individuals on fixed incomes. If you are 62 years or older, mortgage specialist with Polygon Financial Group, Lauren Levy, can help you navigate this inflation squeeze with a reverse mortgage. Additionally, if you are considering buying a new home, refinancing your existing home, or consolidating high interest debt, It's not too late to lock in an interest rate before interest rates increase again. Don't wait. Kim Munson recommends you call Lauren Levy today at 303-880-8881 for a no-cost consultation. That's Lauren Levy at 303-880-8881.
4: Medical freedom, patient choice, and informed consent are all staples of comprehensive health care. You'll find exactly that at Roots Medical, located in the Denver Tech Center, offering specialties in hormones, thyroid, gut health, detox, and COVID recovery. Functional, comprehensive, primary healthcare. Roots Medical, getting to the root of your healthcare concerns. For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. Roots Medical is a proud member of Colorado Healthcare Providers for Freedom.
1: And welcome back to the Kim Munson show. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. I greatly appreciate it. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. And socialism is not about free stuff. That's just the carrot to get people to vote for it. On the line with me is Bill Feder. He is the host of the American Minute. And, Bill, I jumped right in here. I like to always do a quote at the begin, beginning and end of the show. And what would be one of your favorite quotes?
2: Um, well, there is the one from George Santayana. He was a Harvard University professor and. Many people are familiar with his quote, where he says that um, those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And, uh, you know, people say history repeats itself, really human nature repeats itself. And you can study human nature in a classroom, uh, in a schoolyard. Uh, you have bullies at the top. You have those that kiss up to the bullies. You have those that are afraid of the bullies and that those that are uh, leaving and they go go somewhere else, but they end up starting a repeat of it. And, um, uh, and so you go through history and you see that um, this ten, trend for power to want to concentrate, uh, you have those that want to concentrate it for good reasons. Um, maybe you're being attacked and you need somebody to be a captain to organize you. Um, that's good but then this captain has kids and grandkids who claim to be a special family a political family a political machine and before you know it you got yourself a gang you got yourself a king and uh, everybody in town has to kiss up to them and then if they don't they're kicked out and so it's a default setting for human government this power wanting to concentrate And that's why it was so unique when ancient Israel came out of Egypt around 1400 B.C. And for 400 years, they they were literally the first nation with no king. They had an entire nation with millions of people and no king. And it worked because every citizen was taught the law. And what motivated them to follow the law? Well, there was a God who was watching everyone. He wants you to be fair. He's going to hold you accountable in the future. So... Everybody's walking around, you have temptations to steal, and you're about to steal, and then you think, oh, God's watching me, he wants me to be fair, he's going to hold me accountable sometime in the future, maybe I should hesitate stealing. And it creates something in your head called a conscience. If everybody in the country actually believes this, you can maintain complete order with no police. And it worked for 400 years in ancient Israel until the priests stopped teaching the law. And it says, every man did what was right in their own eye. And it turns into chaos and sodomites raping concubines who get chopped in pieces. And, you know, the Levites with silver graven images and all kinds of... And then finally, the, the people go to Samuel the prophet. And they say, this self-government thing's not working anymore. We want to be like the other countries. We want a king. And the rubber band snaps back and they get King Saul who takes their land and kills most of the priests and rules as a tyrant. And so uh, even Plato talked about this model, uh, 380 B.C. in Athens. He says, demos from people, crossing each rule, democracy, the people rule. And the chief characteristic of a democracy is tolerance. Everybody tolerates each other. It's wonderful. Then they tolerate people that are a little bit off. Then they tolerate people that are a lot off. But finally, they're tolerating lawlessness. And it turns into random crime and chaos and windows being smashed and stores being looted. And, and in this chaos, people begin to say, we want someone to come along and fix this mess. And Plato says, along comes a philosopher king. And he he's all smiles. He promises everything to everybody. And as he consolidates power, people realize he's getting too powerful, and they cast it in his teeth. And he has a choice give up the power, which he's not inclined to do because Plato called him a lover of power or get rid of the people confronting him. So he purges his administration and military of anybody with a virtue. All he wants is yes men. And he finally stands up in the chariot of state holding the reins of power, and he's revealed as a tyrant. And how's he going to stay in power? Well, he's going to have a mob, and he's going to send this mob out to destroy his political enemies. And then he uh, frees the who does he get to replace his former friends? Uh, he frees the convicts, the criminals, the, the slaves, the illegal aliens, and um, they become his mob. And um, and so he's the head of gold, and his um, administrators and military are the arms and chest of silver. They're the deep state ruling class. And everybody else, the abdomen of iron and bronze, they're the worker class. And so all the way back to Plato. Uh, socialism is a structured society of a ruling class and a ruled class. And go goes so far to say that uh, the, the ruling class will take the children away from the families before they've been affected by the habits of their parents. And these they will train in their own habits and laws, teaching them noble lies. Actually calls them lies. But these lies help them stay in power and since democracy is doomed to fail, the best you can hope for is a nice tyrant philosopher king. And uh, even if there is such a thing, he doesn't live forever. and He's going to hand it over to some terrible grandson who doesn't know how to rule, but likes his lush, you know, job, and he's going to get oppressive. And so, um, anyway, these trends have been studied, um, and so. The model that Americans colonial founders took was this first 400 years out of Egypt, of Israel, and it was called the Hebrew Republic, and they studied it so much that they taught Hebrew at Yale and Harvard. And this idea of a nation with no king to teeter-totter, if you're not going to have outward uh, restraints, you need to replace it with inward restraints. So it's not just libertarianism. Okay, let's get rid of all the outward laws. Okay, well, if you're not going to replace it with internal moral laws, it's just going to be chaos. And so our founder said, okay, we're going to teach the kids. So that's why they taught the Bible in schools. And, you know, up until 1964, they had Bible reading in schools and prayer in schools and all that, because they realized that, it, again, it's like telling a teenager, um, look, you're a good kid. You have internal morals. You can come home whenever. Um you know, But if you don't follow those internal morals, hang around the wrong friends, drink and drive and party, you're going to be pulled over by the police and put in jail behind bars. So, teenager, you're going to be controlled either voluntarily from the inside or forcibly from the outside. It's the same way with a nation where you're going to be voluntarily controlled with internal morals. And what motivates them to follow these internal morals is accountability to a, a just God. Or we're going to tell kids there is no God. There's no right and wrong. You don't even know if you're a boy or a girl anymore. Uh, they t- Kids are totally borderless, totally godless. You shove these kids out, and they just follow their feelings, and their feelings can change every day. And the, you have to you know, pamper them and say, well, i have got to call you a different pronoun today because I don't want to hurt your little feelings. And these kids go out, and they get offended at somebody, and they kill them. And we're shocked that they actually acted out what they were taught. It's like, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we put a sign on the wall that says, don't kill anybody? Don't steal from anybody. Don't lie to anybody. Right? Don't rape anybody. Maybe, like put the Ten Commandments back up. Right? And um, if the whole purpose of schools is to teach kids and and alter their behavior, uh, why don't we teach them some behavior? Of, you don't just follow your feelings every day. You control your feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, anyway, um, so ancient Israel was the model that America's founders uh, modeled after. But this idea. Of having a virtue. So in ancient Israel, they were taught the law, but even Plato, 380 BC, talks about people having virtue. But uh, in Plato's time, they didn't have a Judeo-Christian God. They had a bunch of fickle Greek deities that nobody believed in anyway. And so Plato says, look, this this virtue thing is is temporary. It's not going to last very long. Uh, It's going to turn into pleasure, and people are going to seek pleasure and um, and then it's going to turn into chaos, and then out of chaos you're going to get a king.
1: Oh my gosh, Bill actually- Feder, this is fascinating um, because of what you're talking about. I'm looking at where America is today, and I when we we're going to go to break. When we come back, I want to ask you what virtue means, what you think of virtuous society, what that means exactly. I'm talking with Bill Fetter. We're talking about the American idea, also socialism, kind of the history of all of this. And we're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll talk about what is virtue, what's a virtuous society. So we'll be right back with Bill Federer. And before we go to break, one of our great sponsors, uh, Steve Cruz, co-owner of Three Points Financial, is on the the line. Happy Independence Day week to you, Steve Cruz.
5: Thanks. You too, Jen.
1: So what's your thoughts uh, on this, uh, this Friday?
5: Uh, well, continuing along the the topics of return on life versus return on investment that we've been talking about, uh, this this final section, as part of that, uh, is is fulfillment, and one of the main areas of that is return on autonomy or you know independence. And our financial resources help us um, have a little more freedom uh, with with the decisions that we make. And so this would be, you know, I am a person that has, you know, good return on autonomy can say, you know, I'm utilizing my financial resources in ways that help me uh, free my time. I feel freedom in my work, relationships, uh, and how I live my life. And so that's one of the big the big areas uh, as well with, with return on life. And some of the questions that, uh, you know, if people don't feel that they have as much freedom as they want uh, some of the questions they might ask, you know, have I made purchases that have caused stress in my life? And we look around and some of you know the freedoms that we have uh, here in the U.S., some of the reasons that some of those, um, you know, maybe decline or are attacked because of decisions that our country has made in the past. Uh, you know, things like we have indebted ourselves uh, for certain certain programs or things that we've done, and so now... You know, there's there's the taxes that come with that, and so it, it's the same in our in our personal lives. You know, have we indebted ourselves, or we have made purchases that are causing stress in our lives and that are reducing our freedom? A um, next question might be, you know, are there investments that I'm in that make me uncomfortable? Um, am I feeling the freedom to do what I want in life, and and how does financial resources play a role in that? Um, and then, do I have the time to attend to things? that mean the most to me. Uh, so, so that would be one area under fulfillment, return of life, return of autonomy, and I uh, felt like that was a good area to talk about this Independence Week.
1: Well, and I think it sounds very founding fatherish of you. And that is, is I think you're talking about pursuit of happiness. And I know that you and uh, Mary Alpers over at Three Points Financial help people pursue their happiness uh, through the great services that you have at Three Points Financial. So have a great day. Greatly appreciate the partnership, Steve Cruz. And we'll talk to you next week.
5: Sounds great. Thanks,
1: Jim. And we'll be right back with Bill Federer.
7: M-O-N-S-O-N dot com.
4: Franktown Firearms owns their name and their word, so they never compromise on their beliefs. They refuse to go back on a promise, and they run their gun range the same way. Franktown Firearms doesn't answer to a corporate office. Their team has fought to keep their range completely independent, so they can go to sleep at night knowing they maintained their integrity. They've been in business on the same property for multiple generations and maintained their values. As a family-operated, family-friendly business, they care about their customers like family. So, while they aren't politically correct, they treat every client with respect and decency. They believe in the power of a handshake because they stay true to their word. They value hard work and respect your hard-earned money that you choose to spend with them, regardless of how many times you return. Don't compromise your beliefs. Honor your independence with Franktown Firearms at klzradio.com slash Franktown.
1: And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And on the line with me is Bill Fetter. We're doing these very special shows for you for this week of Independence Day, talking about the American idea. And he is the host of The American Minute, author of many books. Bill Fetter, this is such a fascinating conversation regarding basically socialism. You've got a couple of books that uh, people can learn more about this. What are they?
2: Well, one is titled Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present. And the subtitle is How the Deep State Capitalizes on Crises to Consolidate Control. And then uh, another book is called Who is the King in America? And uh, it's supposed to be the people. Right, so kings have subjects. Uh, the most common form of government in world history is kings. I spent a couple of years researching every single century of human civilization. And you have Nimrod, Pharaoh, Caesar, Kaiser, Sultan, Tsar, Alexander, the Great, Julius Caesar, Tovahun, Genghis Khan. It's The most common form of government's kings. And as the centuries go on, the kingdoms get bigger. Because with military advancements, the king can kill more people, Right. Instead of a stone weapon, you're using a bronze weapon or an iron weapon or a big, long, failing spear or the scimitar sword or gunpowder. The weapon improves, but it's that same fallen nature it can kill and able. Uh, and technology improves, so kings can track more people. I mean, Augustus Caesar wanted to have a worldwide tracking system. It was called a census. That was like cutting-edge technology back then. And um, if he could have had 5G and cell phones and cameras, and track, he would have used that. And, um, and so at the time of the founding, the king of England was the most powerful king on the planet. The sun never set on the British Empire. He had 13 million square miles, a half a billion people, India, Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, British Guyana, Canada, Barbados, Bermuda, Jamaica, and America. And so the, the kings have subjects who are subjected to the king's will. Where in America, our founders flipped it and made the people the king. The word citizen is Greek. It means co-king, co-ruler, co-sovereign. So in democracies and republics, you have citizens, you have co-rulers. And so you pledge allegiance to the flag and to the republic, you're basically pledging allegiance to us being in charge of yourselves. All right, It's us, us being in charge of ourselves. So if somebody protests the flag, what they're effectively saying is, I don't want to be the king anymore. I protest this system where I participate in ruling myself. It's like, okay dude, somebody else would be happy to tell you what to do with your life. And so America is an empowering of the individual. So you get to be the king of your life. You get to decide where you want to live, who you want to marry, what church you want to go to or not go to, um, what career you want to pursue, what clothes you want to wear, what food you want to eat. You get to make all these decisions about your life, and then all of us together make the decisions for the country. And so uh, democracies and republics are attempts to take the power of the king and give it to the people. And so um, a democracy—go ahead—
1: well, Bill, in, we um, actually did a teaser when we went from the last segment to this segment, but that requires a virtuous society. So what does the word virtue mean? Does that mean looking at your neighbor and judging them, telling them how they behave? What What does that mean exactly?
2: Yeah, the the founders intended to be personal virtue, personal morals, personal self-control. And in ancient Greece, you basically... Were virtuous because it was the end thing. That it was you admired. You would have these, um, you know, plays at the amphitheater, and they would have a tragedy where somebody you know died rescuing people, and that people would leave the theater saying, "Oh, that person was noble and virtuous, and I want to emulate that." But over time, uh, Plato saw that when uh, money would replace virtue that when people got rich, everybody respected them and honored them, irregardless if they got their riches through immoral ways. Uh, So if if they got their money through drug dealing, but yet they had gold and fancy cars, everybody respected them and honored them. So instead of honoring the virtue, our politicians, I mean, they go in poor, they come out rich, and everybody pretty well knows they do insider dealing where they'll vote to extend the monopoly on a drug from 15 years to 30 years, and then all of them go out and invest in the stock of that drug company and make money off it, and other people will get thrown in jail for doing it, but since they're the ones, they call it insider trading, since they're the ones that make the laws, they can get around it, so they they come out uh, millionaires. And and everybody knows it, but they honor them, and so it's like um, instead of virtue being the... Quality and self-control and morals—it's its riches that uh, people uh, want. And so Plato observed this human phenomenon, and he says this democracy is based on virtue, and virtue is is fleeting. Now, ancient Israel's attempt lasted longer because they had a big magnet in the sky called God, and everybody was virtuous because they were constantly aware that they were accountable to this just God. And Athens didn't have that. Athens just had a bunch of fickle deities. And so that's why the founders understood that for their, for the democracy, for the republic to work, it's not just teaching people rules to be virtuous, it's teaching them rules with accountability to a God who is watching everyone, who wants you to be fair, He's going to hold you accountable in the future. And it only works with a Judeo-Christian God, right? An Islamic God says that you can have four wives, you can divorce your wife by saying, I divorce you three times. She's out the door. She didn't. Even, she can't even go back in and get her clothes, right, um, that uh, infidels are not equal to Muslim males. And, uh, and then in the Hindu system, if you're a Brahmin in the highest caste, you are on near divinity. If you're in the untouchable Dalit lowest class, you got to clean the sewers. There's no concept of equality in the Hindu in belief system. In the atheism, in communist countries, your worth is dependent on your utility to the state. right? If you're useful to society, your worth goes up. If you're a drain on society, your worth goes down. In the Judeo-Christian model, you have a worth because you're made in the image of God. Whether you can contribute to society or not, whether you're a male or a female, right? Well, what, whatever you believe, just the fact that you are alive, uh, you are made in the image of God, you have worth. And um, and so in America, the founders understood that for this self-government system to work, it, there needed to be a God of the Bible that you're accountable to. And um, and so that was the way it was up until the 1960s. And you had Madeline Murray O'Hare bringing the lawsuit to get her out of schools and Bible reading out of schools. And then uh, in that vacuum, you got sucked all this leftist ideology, which basically... Teaches kids there is no right, there is no wrong, there's no God, there's no morals. It's just your feelings for today, um, or maybe you get your rights from a, uh, a social contract or a social compact or whatever the, the the latest. And so it's like, oh well, if you can manipulate the the general public opinion, then you then you can change what's considered right or wrong. And so all this effort goes into manipulating the public opinion because if there's no God, who decides what's right or wrong? The group mob the collective and so i got all this media wanting to influence the group um and so it's a it's a moving goalpost, and so you got you know somebody that was on the front line of moving it was a uh, harry potter right with her series and they were you know sort of a, a fuzzy gray what's right what's wrong um and so she was like their hero for a while uh, you know they promote all the movies but But then she had a friend that says that there actually is such a thing as a man and a woman. And uh, the author, you know, defends her friend. Well, all of a sudden, the author is now ostracized. She's now an enemy. She's like, you know, a terrible person because she's not embracing the transgendered agenda. So it's a moving goalpost. And whoever's on the front line today, if they're not continually pushing this agenda, they'll get thrown by the wayside. You know, somebody can be a hero, and then they find some tweet they did twenty years ago before they were woke, and all of a sudden they're canceled. Um, and it's um, it's an anti biblical uh, worldview, and it's moving goalposts, and it's the media that sets what's acceptable in the group. It's it's basically peer pressure on a on a national and global scale. And um, but the Judeo Christian model is. Uh, it's the God of the Bible that decides what's right and wrong, and this God wants you to treat everybody fair. And this God says there's no respecter of persons in judgment, and um, and if you blow it, you're forgiven. Um, but you, there still is rules, and um, and so this is what America's founders taught in colonial New England, particularly Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, um, New Hampshire. It's called New England. And not, not Virginia. Virginia was an Anglican colony with a king at the top of the Anglican church. Whereas these New England colonies had uh, the Puritan, Pilgrim, the Protestant uh, congregational forms of church government where everybody in the congregation is involved. And they simply took their church involvement model and made it their community model. And so everybody in the community was involved, and um, they actually had the church meeting and the government meeting in the same building. They were called meeting houses, the Old South Meeting House, if you go to Boston. Um, The word synagogue is Hebrew. It means meeting house, and that's where the rabbi would teach the law, but that's where they would elect their city elders. And so in New England, they would meet in the meeting house. The pastor would teach the Bible, but that's where they would you know, elect their city elders and make all the decisions. And so when the Revolutionary War starts, the British military governor of Massachusetts, Thomas Gage, outlaws town hall meetings. He says, democracy is too prevalent in America. You don't need people meeting and being involved. You just do what the king tells you. So in America, it was bottom-up, we the people. But the English model was top-down, the king. And so... Uh, So America is an experiment of empowering the individual, and then all of us individuals get to be in charge of the country. But uh, the subtitle of my book, it's called Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present, but the subtitle is How the Deep State Capitalizes on Crises to Consolidate Control. So if the people have the power and the king wants it back, does he just ask for it? Well, the people aren't in a hurry to give it up. And so there's two ways that people will give up power. One is fear. You get people in fear, they'll trade free and for security. And the other is free stuff. The government gives them free stuff until they get dependent. And then you want to continue the free stuff, you got to incrementally give up your freedom. Oh, my so gosh. It's like a drug it's like yeah. a drug dealer takes over neighborhood two ways. You can come in with guns or he can give away free drugs and get everybody hooked.
1: Oh, my gosh. Okay, Bill Feder, our conversations always go so quickly because there's so much information, but I appreciate it. We're going to go to break. On the line with, with me is Bill Feder. We're talking about really the American idea and socialism. Uh, But before we do that, though, the nonprofit that I have adopted is the United States Marine Corps uh, Memorial Foundation, the USMC Memorial Foundation. They are raising money to uh, remodel the Marine Memorial out at Sixth and Colfax. And as we are talking about this, it's so important that we remember our history. We remember those that have given their lives for us so that we have freedom And uh, the Marine Memorial was uh, dedicated in 1977, so it's time for a remodel. Paula Sarles and her whole group are working hard to do that. So you can go to USMCMemorialFoundation.org. That's USMCMemorialFoundation.org. And you can donate. You can buy a brick to honor your loved one. uh, But it's a really important thing to do. So we'll be right back with Bill Federer.
7: Three Points Financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families mary alpers and steve Cruz at three points financial specialize in investment strategies tax planning and preparation and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions tax laws have changed and will continue to change inflation is real three points financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success for clarity and a solid relevant financial and investment plan while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront. Schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at 3pointsfinancial.com. Three That's threepointsfinancial.com.
5: Inflation is out of control. Increasing prices at the gas pump and grocery stores are hurting everyday people. All these challenges we face are preventable. Individuals must understand what is going on. That's why Kim Munson is bringing truth and clarity to the issues facing our families, our communities, our state, and our country. Now, more than ever, it's important to support Kim's independent voice. Kim has the courage to research and inform you about the real issues. It's not easy, and Kim can use your help. Go to KimMunson.com to contribute. Again, help Kim by contributing at Kim Munson. That's M-O-N-S-O-N dot com.
1: And welcome back to the Kim Munson show. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me. At Kim, at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. If something's a good idea, you shouldn't have to force people to do it. Uh, On the line with me is Bill Federer, and he is the host of the American Minute. And again, what's the total title of these two books that uh, are relevant to the subjects that we're talking about today, Bill Federer?
2: Sure. Well, one is called Who Was the King in America? And goes through all the world's history, shows the most common form of the government's king. America's founders flipped it and made the people the king. And uh, it's quite fascinating. Uh, So Who Was the King in America? The second book is Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present. And the subtitle is How the Deep State Capitalizes on Crises to Consolidate Control. My website's AmericanMinute.com. But on that socialism idea, is that since the most common form of government is a king, and democracies and republics are attempts to take the power of the king given to the people. uh, By the way, um, democracy has a double meaning. Uh, One is simply a popular government, where the people are involved in governing themselves. And this definition became used during the Cold War as a contrast to communism. But as a functioning form of government, like in Athens, a democracy, every citizen has to be at every meeting every day to talk about every issue. Very time-consuming. You don't have time to do anything else because every single day you got to be down there at the market talking politics. And if you don't keep up with what's being talked about today, you're called an idiotus, an idiot.
8: Uh-huh.
2: Right? A republic is where you take care of your family and your farm, and you have someone in your place that goes to the market every day, and they're your representative. So, it's easy to remember the REP in Republic is basically the REP in Representative. So, you're still in charge, you're just ruling through Representatives. Um, but either way, democracies and republics are attempts to take the power of the king, give it to the people. But what if the king wants the power back? Does he just ask for it? No. So, there's the two methods fear and free stuff. Right? It's like a drug dealer takes over a neighborhood two ways. He can come in with guns, get everybody in fear, and then people will trade their freedom in exchange for being left alive. Uh, But the other is the drug dealer is so nice, he's giving away free drugs until he gets everybody hooked. And then you want some more free drugs, well, you're going to have to sell yourself into prostitution and give up control of your body and your life. And it's like a hunter catches animals with guns and bait. It's sort of like a front door, back door approach. And so these methods of how to get people to give up their freedoms have been studied, studied, studied. So how do you get fear? The main thing is discord. You have to sow discord. And so the British, uh, how did they get to be the biggest empire in the world? Well, let's look at how they took over India. In 1714, they landed in Bengal, and they opened a trading post that turned into a trading fort that turned into them having guns and giving guns to one kingdom and guns to another kingdom and then stirring up discord between the kingdoms, ancient animosities, until they broke out into warfare. And they would beat each other up and blood each other up. And then the British would come in and take over both of the weakened kingdoms to restore order. And they did this again and again and again until they took over all of India, a quarter of the world's population. They tried doing it in America during the Revolutionary War. They'd go to the Indians on the frontier and sign them to scalp and so forth. And uh, it was Hegel that turned this into an equation. So Hegel's over in Germany. Napoleon just conquered. Six million people died during the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, Germany wasn't Germany yet. It was a bunch of kingdoms, Prussia, Saxony, Bavaria. And the king of Prussia says, we can't get conquered that easy again. We need to strengthen the state. We need to take rights away from the people concentrate it in the state. He gets a philosopher named Hegel who teaches at the University of Berlin. And Karl Marx is one of his students. And Hegel comes up with something called dialectics. And it's basically taking the British model of so sewing discord, but making it nice and clean for a chalkboard. And so it's a triangle. One corner is a thesis. The opposite corner is an antithesis or antithesis. And the top corner is a synthesis. It sounds complicated, but it's not. So you start off with the status quo. You create a problem that's real bad, and everybody gets into fear, and they'll give up some of their freedoms to settle for an answer that's just half as bad. And that's the the synthesis. And that synthesis becomes a new thesis, a new starting point. Then you create another problem that's real bad, and everybody panics in fear and gives up some more of their freedoms to settle for an answer that's just half as bad. And then you create another problem that's real bad, and everybody will give up some more of their freedoms to settle for another answer that's just half as bad. And you keep doing this, and every time they settle, they give up a little of their individual freedom to the state. And so Karl Marx says, how do you create a problem that's real bad? How do you sow discord? You send in agitators, agent provocateurs, community organizers, labor organizers. Their job is to find people with grievances uh, and stir them up to riot. And whether, um, and then when the rioting gets bad enough, everybody panics in fear and uh, will beg some government to come in and restore order. And so uh, it's called, Karl Marx called it the critical theory. And so you come into a country and simply study all the groups economically, racially, ethnically, religiously, uh, uh, and you call some victims and others oppressors, haves and have-nots. And then you'd organize protests that you'd escalate into riots and violence. Why violence? Because then people get into an emotional realm rather than a logical realm, and it's easy to manipulate emotions. It's called fear-mongering. And then they would co-opt the media with bribes and threats to blame the leader of the country for all the problems. And then when the people get stirred up enough, they would do a coup or a rigged election and replace the leader with a Soviet puppet. Country after country would fall. This is called the Cold War. And Truman does nothing, and then Eisenhower's the next president, and he decides to do something. And so in 1953, when Iran sides with the Soviet Union and nationalizes their oil industry, and you think, big deal. Well, wait a second. Britain has no oil fields. So in 1908, Britain formed the Anglo-Iranian Oil Company. You know it better as BP, British Petroleum, or is it really the Anglo-Iranian Oil Company? So Britain's getting all their oil from Iran. But when uh, Iran sides with the Soviet Union in 1953 after World War II, uh, Britain has an oil shortage. So they appeal to Eisenhower for help, and Eisenhower sends over um, the CIA. Uh, with Kermit Roosevelt Jr., the grandson of Teddy Roosevelt. And he goes over there, and he does the same thing in reverse. He recruits mobsters and gangsters and people with grievances and organizes riots and attack mosques and co-ops the media with bribes and threats to blame Mazadek for all the problems. And when the country gets panicky enough, they would do a coup or a rigged election and replace—they they walk in and put Mazadek under house arrest, locked him away for the rest of his life where he dies, and they replaced him with the Shah. And the CIA did the same thing in Guatemala, Dominican Republic and the Congo and the KGB did the same thing. With Brezhnev and Khrushchev helping Yasser Arafat to start the PLO and sow division in the Middle East and help Castro to take over Cuba and help uh, Che Guevara to start FARC in Colombia and ELN in Bolivia to sow division to take over and then hundreds of coups and coup attempts in Africa. This period of time is called the Cold War. And this idea of studying a country, seeing all the groups, stirring them up to protest and then riot. And um, and then they would do something called psychological projection, where they would do the crises but blame it on their innocent opponents. And so they would attack capitals and, and then have, uh, blame their po- opponents for it. And, um, you know, they, uh, the, the Nazis did this. They wanted to invade Poland, and world public opinion would not support it. And so they had Nazi soldiers dress up as Polish soldiers, and attack a German outpost called the Gleiwitz Incident. And the news picks it up that the Polish had attacked the Germans. And the news spreads, and now the Nazis have an excuse to invade Poland.
5: Oh, my God! And so
2: this is the idea. You know, Stalin did a similar thing. 1934, there was a growing anti-Stalinist movement. And um, he also had a supporter named Sergei Kirov, the party boss of Leningrad. And Sergei Kirov was giving all these speeches praising Stalin. And Stalin had an idea. He would assassinate his friend, Sergei Kirov, and eliminate a potential rival and blame the assassination on the anti Stalinists. Nobody would suspect that he did it because they were friends, and everybody would believe the anti Stalinists did it because they didn't like Stalin and they didn't like Sergei. Stalin used that as an excuse to set up committees to do investigations to detain people, to investigate, to round them up, and then to kill over a million people in the first great purge, nineteen thirty six to thirty eight. Wow. So this idea of when somebody's a group is seizing power, they'll stage an attack like on a capital, but then they'll blame it on their innocent opponents and use it as an excuse to arrest and eliminate their opponents. And when the dust settles there's no more republic, it turns into a dictatorship.
1: Bill Fetter, we are out of time. Uh, this is absolutely fascinating. What is the final thought that you could want to leave with our listeners today?
2: Uh, hope. I was listening to David Horowitz. He goes, he goes, Conservatives think logically, and then you always end up getting fatalistic. He says, We cannot get fatalistic. You have to have hope. And, and what are the stories we love best in the Bibles where God's people are in hopeless situations and he raises up a Moses, a David, a Gideon, a Deborah? Uh, this is just our turn. And so without God, yes, it is fatalistic. But when you realize that, no, uh, our, our revolution was against the king of England. He was the most powerful king on planet Earth, and we had a bunch of ragtag people. Uh, and so God loves to wait until things look hopeless, and then he raises up little nobodies with faith and courage. And again, this is just our turn. Uh, the story of Gideon, 100,000 Midianites invade Israel. Gideon gets 30,000 Israelites, but God says, too many tell everyone that's scared to go home. Now it's not to 10,000. Still too many. Go drink from a creek, whittles it down to three hundred. Then God rolls up his sleeves and says, "Watch this!" Right. (laughs) So, so with faith, uh, we can come to the conclusion that this is just our opportunity to stand up boldly and to let the Lord use us in this time of crisis. And um, and the results are His, uh, but our job is to to do the doing. And it's an exciting time to be alive. And uh, there's always hope. So uh, again, the book is socialism the real history from take to the present and and the website's com.
1: bill fetter thank you so much and people do ask me what do we do i said we pray we work and we leave the rest up to god so bill fetter thank you so much A fascinating conversation it went for school board And run for school board, board too. That's right. That's right. So our quote for the end of the day is from George Santayana. It says, the wisest mind has something to learn. So, my friends, today be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate, and listen well, live honestly and authentically. Strive for high ideals and, like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America.
0: Or is it for us? Let's have a conversation.
1: And welcome to the Kim Munson Show. Thank you so much for joining us. You're each treasured, valued. You have purpose. Today, strive for excellence. Take care of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. My friends, you were made for this moment. And I get to work with a great team. That's producer Steve, Zach, Patty, Keith, Charlie, Jen, Echo, all the people here at Crawford Broadcasting. It is a Friday, producer Steve.
7: How do you say it? Finally, Fantastic Friday.
1: (laughs) Fabulous Friday, definitely. Uh, There
7: it is. There it is. Fabulous.
1: And we've done something very special this week. Uh, we've had, uh, we always have great guests, but very special guests. And we're talking about the American founding, uh, the hope for America, the American idea. And, um, just really have enjoyed putting these uh, things together for you. Check out our website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at Kim at Kim dot com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We are an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. My friends, it's never compassionate to take other people's stuff, whether or not it's their rights, their property, their freedom, their livelihood, or opportunity via force, whether with a weapon policy, unpredictable and excessive taxation, fear, coercion, government induced inflation, or the World Economic Forum Davos Elites Agenda. And we're seeing that play out right now in America. Uh, I'm thrilled to have on the line with me Stan Everett. He is the founder and creator of a, a important project, the Legacy Project. Uh, Stan Everett, welcome to the show.
8: Thank you, Kim. It's great to be here.
1: Well, it's great to have you back, and I wanted to start with a quote from Samuel Adams. Uh, he was one of our American founders. He was born in 1722. He died in 1803, and want to uh, find out what you think about this quote. He said, it is no dishonor to be in a minority in the cause of liberty and virtue. Uh, what's your thoughts about that, Samuel or, Not Samuel Adams, uh, Stan Everett.
8: <laughs> Well, what a nice compliment comes from Adams. But um, well, I think he's an astute observer of that time, as well as kind of bringing in the ideals of the Enlightenment uh, thought process and recognizing the political process. And he's very um, interesting fellow relative to his ability to affect change through a political process. So. He's saying you don't have to be the vast majority in order to stand firm in liberty, and you will then be able to affect change because of the principles as opposed to the politics. So I think he's a good good man and uh, has uh, great history. seems to be one of the second-tier uh, sons of liberty, but in fact, he's the guy who started all of that. So an interesting fellow.
1: Well, and— It is difficult to be in the minority. It is difficult to be the contrarian, but throughout history, it's been those that, and to be the contrarian for liberty and for principles. Um, right now in America, uh, there's, I think there's an awakening stand to this and it is, is because there are those that are willing to stand on those principles and remind us of those. And, I think you creating the, the Legacy Project, that is, has such an interesting history, and I remember that you said that you would get together with a friend for coffee, and you would, you would just be frustrated, and you finally, you, your conversations would be, um, sometimes I, I think maybe even a little anger, if I remember right, and then you said we've got to do something about it. So tell us about that.
8: Well, uh, this was like a 25-year uh, process of a friend and myself. And, yeah, we would get to coffee, three hours of uh, sitting around talking, patting ourselves on the back to how smart we were. If everybody would just listen to us, then all (laughs) the problems of the world would be solved. And we would attack, you know, whether it was schools or government or churches or whatever, uh, we would have an opinion about it and were sitting around expressing the negative uh, part of that. So we finally got together, finished a meeting after going through all that drill, standing on the sidewalk, looking each other in the eye and going, so what are we going to do about it? Enough of this. Uh, we are at an age and a stage of life where we need to do something about it rather than just expect that the rest of our life is going to be sitting in the coffee shop complaining which you can see many people in coffee shops sitting around complaining. So we produced or we created the Legacy Project, which is now we've been through about 1,100 people in the northern Colorado community, primarily business people, but we've had politicians and ministers and educators, uh, the whole spectrum of our, our society. And we use early American histories as, as uh, a way to recognize that we live in a legacy granted to us and handed down to us by past generations. And so how is it now our responsibility to then sustain that, and what are we going to do about it? So it's, a, it's kind of a review of our founding documents that then – articulate our principles and then the systems that we our founders put in place to uh, organize those principles. And then what's the history beyond that? We don't really talk about contemporary issues and policies, politicians, or any of those things. That just becomes a distraction. But we do talk about the principles, and then uh, it's kind of inferred that are we still... Um, a country that is based on those principles and are we using the tools that they had given us to actually run the country. Um, but it's it's a good program. We've had a lot of success. Um, and it's what we do is in small groups, it's the six people that are in a small group, but they're all different ages and generations. So these conversations get very robust, very lively. When you're asking a 27-year-old, all men are created equal, what does that phrase mean? Uh, he may have a particular idea where the 68-year-old who's also at the table would have a different perspective on that. So you can imagine how fun that is to have that conversation with these different perspectives and different stages of life.
1: So how long is the pro- uh, the program?
8: Well, it's it's. Now different, Uh, it's uh, six months is our general program and usually we have between 60 and 80 people that are involved in that, once a month meetings, uh, so it's kind of tailored to a business environment. But we also do, I'll do lectures over five weeks. Uh, We've had, my wife and I have had couples at our house for a five or six week program Uh, So it's made up of five separate programs. We have study guides, and it's kind of a curriculum format where we have videos and there are um, support materials. So it varies, but it's uh, it's, just think of it as a five- or six-part program.
1: Okay. And how can people get more information about it, uh, Stan?
8: Mm, that's always the hard part. Uh, we don't have a website. We don't promote. All we do for recruiting is get people who've gone through it to recruit somebody they know. Um, they can contact me. Uh, you can, I think, Google Stan Everett, and it'll bring you to the Everett companies. Uh, and then I'm on that uh, with an email address and happy to reply if somebody wants to email me something.
1: Okay. And you've really seen a transformation of of people's perspective many times, correct?
8: Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, frustration. Part of the process is to uh, in, reintroduce them to things they think they already know. And they say, well, why don't I've, I've seen this all my life? Uh, for instance, I've pledged allegiance since I was in kindergarten. Yet they don't even know what they're pledging to. They're always saying, "Well, I'm pledging to the flag." Well, no, that's fabric. No, I'm pledging to the United States of America. Um, I'm pledging to, you know, under God. I'm pledging to this. Well, no, no. In fact, you're you're pledging to the republic for which all of those things stand as symbols. That you're actually pledging allegiance to the republic. And so then we go through the next lesson, which is the American form of government with the question on everybody's lips, what is a republic? Because nobody can answer that question after you tell them that's what you're pledging allegiance to. So there's a lot of that where there's uh, many, many aha moments and people start to parse the words of the Declaration of Independence and they also look at the purpose of the Constitution as opposed to walking through all of the sections and the various articles, and, uh, and we'll go through the Bill of Rights. But we're looking at that in the form of the principles of the Declaration. How are we organizing those principles into a system that can fulfill those ideals? Um, so it's, it's fascinating where they are now understanding, you know, the general purpose as opposed to that particular clause or this particular item and that's how they learned it in junior high and high school and even had some peoples with master's degree in history colonial history in particular and they said we've never even looked at this history in this context now it all makes sense i've had a army ranger a hired assassin literally is how he characterized himself he said i never knew what the cause was That I was fighting for when I was in Iraq. With going through this program, I now understand the cause and I think it's an honorable cause. So it does transform people's thinking uh, to raise their awareness as to what the value of this incredible experiment uh, that we have in our republic.
1: Oh, it's absolutely fascinating. We're going to go to break. I'm talking with Stan Everett. He was explaining the uh, legacy project. And so we're going to go to break, and we will continue the conversation.
7: m o n s o n dot
1: and welcome back to the Kim Munson show. Check out our website. that's kim munson m o n s o n dot sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And you can email me at kim at kimmunson dot as well. And I have on the line with me Stan Everett. He is a founder creator of uh, the Legacy Project, which, is a, It's a fascinating project where he brings together, it's primarily men, correct, in the Legacy Project. Is that right, Stan?
8: That's our main focus, but we're doing uh, couples at the same time.
1: Okay. And, uh, and then also you have videos. I know that you have been making presentations, uh, regarding this as well. Um, uh, but it's, it's fascinating as people transform. And I typically don't use that word because that was an Obama word, but transforms their thinking to understanding our American ideal, our American principles. And I, I think, I think we may be in the third founding of our, our American Republic. And when I say that, hmm. it would be the third founding of, of understanding, once again, what America stands for and reclaiming those principles. Because I think we've gotten uh, 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 far away from that. Government has not remained limited. It's gotten quite big. What's your thoughts on this?
8: Yeah, well, I think that's a, a good description. Um unless we know the alternative, which we're now being forced to understand what the alternative is because of the political climate that we're in. But I think because of that COVID and all of the things that people have discovered relative to the power of the federal as well as even local governments, that uh, we're moving towards being subjects of rulers as opposed to the people that are then in charge of their own self-government. So, yeah, I I think that's a good description of it.
1: Are you encouraged or worried?
8: Well, uh, I'll say anxious, uh, which is a combination of encouragement and worry. (laughs) Okay. um, I think I'm that, too. Yeah. But I I guess uh, I meet many, many younger men and women and people involved in starting a charter school in our uh, local district, um, some of the candidates uh, I've been involved with. In, in my opinion, the, the, the culture is awakening to the ideals of the founding, which include Judeo-Christian values But it also includes ideas such as virtue, such as nobility, such as neighborliness. And I'm seeing people really that aren't angry, they're frustrated, but their approach to then overcoming their frustration is to step up and participate and do it with a loving heart, as opposed to an angry heart, which is uh, what you always see on the media, I guess. So I guess um, interesting word encourage. In you think of the opposite of that, which is discourage, but the core of both of those is the word courage. And so I'm not out of courage, and I'm trying my best to promote courage amongst myself as well as others. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of the place that I'm in. I. Whenever I meet a young person that's involved in all of this or wanting to be involved in all of this, then I get excited because they are really seeking truth, and you can use those uh, founding documents to uh, help them understand what the truth is. We hold these truths to be self-evident is the kind of beginning of the the heart of the declaration's principles, and I think people are longing for that and once they're given that information, then it changes them.
1: Well, and the Declaration, this vision, America was founded on this idea that all men are create, uh, created equal with these rights from God of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And the Constitution, ha- explained uh, how the Constitution then relates to that, um, you know, that ideal.
8: Well, and after... And that our creator with certain rights, unalienable rights, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, is how we are supposed to operate from a governmental standpoint. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the governed. So that's the principle that organizes the Constitution. How do you then fulfill the idea of self-government by the people where the power resides, And you do that in a format, then that fulfills the two principles above. All men are created equal, and they're endowed by that creator with certain rights. So that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. So that's the principle that then becomes an upside-down perspective on how we're supposed to organize our society. Because we've always been under rulers and subjects that's kind of the organizational framework of all society prior to us. So the founders come up with this new form, based on their experience with the Enlightenment and the Great Awakening, that puts government at the bottom and the people at the top. So that's what the Constitution does in its own dysfunctional format of all these complications, and there's You know three branches and there's dispersed power through federalism to the states and to the people and it's really intended to go through a very long and arduous process by debate as opposed to bullets and guns in order to then come up with the best laws possible so that to me is the system that's the constitution um and it's restrained luckily by a bill of rights that are articulated that limits the government should have been called the bill of limitations on government as opposed to a bill of rights. And I think uh, you take those two things and that's how they've organized our political system. And they also organize an economic system that's unique without uh, parallel throughout the world.
1: And I think that we've been living off the um, fruits of that economic system uh, again, it would be a limited government, low taxes, low regulations, uh, which then that in uh, the individual has the opportunity to pursue their life, their liberty, and their happiness, and uh, and all of this has been under attack from a public policy standpoint, uh, and we as you I think you mentioned we are seeing. We're seeing that right now, and I think that people are we're seeing the adverse effects of that right now, and people are waking up and starting to take action. Um, but it's it is i'm I'm like you. I think that I'm anxious about what's going on uh, as I look at you know our children, our grandchildren. i am I am a bit anxious about that, um, Stan Everett.
8: yeah, but you're doing something about it, Kim. Uh, and so what you do, what I try to do is every day go out and encourage the courage of people to then participate, wake up, and become players. So that's our role. Uh, if we're anxious about something, then we shouldn't just go and you know uh, get into a warm bath and just spend the day there. <laughs> we, we should get out of our chairs, and we ought to go someplace and reach out, And it's not easy, Uh, you know, to reach into another generation is very uncommon for somebody my age. I'm 70, so to reach into somebody that's 27, somebody I don't know that I really have never even met and sit down with them for a couple of hours to understand who they are and how they think and mentor them uh, without lecturing them into a, a state of wanting to meet again. And you build those relationships, which takes time, but what you end up with is people that are thinking differently and people that are acting in our culture and society in positive ways.
1: Oh, I just love that. And I love what you've done with the legacy project as well. So we're going to go to break. I'm talking with Stan Everett and uh, he is the creator of the, the legacy project. Uh, and we're talking about our American idea, our American heritage. Uh, it is something remarkable in history uh, that um, we put in place a way for us to govern ourselves. So we'll be right back with Stan Everett
7: three points financial is a fiduciary financial planning company focused on helping individuals and families mary alpers and steve Cruz at three points financial specialize in investment strategies tax planning and preparation and retirement planning with no product sales or commissions tax laws have changed and will continue to change inflation is real three points financial helps you maneuver through these changes to achieve your financial success For clarity and a solid, relevant financial and investment plan, while working with a company that puts your interests at the forefront, schedule a no-obligation initial consultation at 3PointsFinancial.com. That's 3PointsFinancial.com.
4: Practice shooting in the same place you bought the firearm. Frankton Firearms makes your life easier with safety and tactical training. Firearm storage and firearm purchase all conveniently located in the same place. At Franktown, learning is accessible. The team recommends you practice developing confidence in handling your gun with a proprietary training course or one-on-one instruction located on-site. Make your life easier and store your firearms safely on premises at the Franktown Firearms Armory. The team at Franktown pride themselves on developing long-term relationships with their clients who utilize their one-stop shop. First-time buyers looking for guidance frequently return because they're having fun see beginners turning into experts all the time. And you can too, with resources and tools at your disposal. No matter what level you're at, get your firearms curiosity, needs, and desires met at Franktown Firearms. Visit klzradio.com franktown or the Franktown Firearms storefront location.
1: And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is Kim Munson, M O N S O N dot com. Sign up for our weekly new, newsletter there, and you can email me at Kim at Kim dot com as well. And on the line with me is Stan Everett. He is the founder of the Legacy Project, which is uh, it's a fascinating project bringing um, people together to understand our, our founding, our, our founding documents and how they're connected, how the declaration is connected to the constitution. And in 2022 America, there has, it seems that there has been such an assault on our founding documents. Um, our kids have been taught that the Declaration and the Constitution was just a bunch of old white guys, a bunch of old slaveholders, slave er slave owners, and um, that they're irrelevant. How do you respond to people when they say that?
8: Well, I get that at every session, Um, you know, the attack of Jefferson being a slave owner. Um, My response to that is, uh, so you're claiming that Jefferson was a hypocrite, could you please tell me uh, who you know that isn't a hypocrite, including yourself? Uh, Which shuts them down to some degree. And then I, you know, the the era of that time frame and all history before had slaves, and not just slaves in the nation, but slaves that were imported or conquered and brought to the nation. So we aren't, we didn't invent slavery. Um, So you're, you're, characterization is inaccurate if you want us to judge everything that you do now and then in the future discredit that um, because you have done some things that aren't right in the eyes of today's culture then all of a sudden everybody becomes worthless so I reject the notion that we're talking about the person and I would rather talk about the ideas ideals And principles that those people wrote down that have then guided this country to some progress, whether that's the civil war that eradicates slavery, or whether that's women's rights, or whether that's uh, just the progress that we've made economically and technologically. But all of those things really come from the principles of the Declaration. So let's stay on the principles as opposed to start to attack the, uh, the players.
1: Well, and again, just to reiterate, slavery at that time was prevalent throughout the world. And uh, I think that the Americans, I think maybe even Jefferson said, this has been foisted upon us. And so imperfect people, we are all imperfect, but they had this ideal that is 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 very very it is perfect this idea that all men are created equal as calvin Col- uh, coolidge said if all men are created equal then that is final but with these rights from god of life liberty and pursuit of happiness uh it just put in place of uh, a situation if you if that's what you believe then you can't have slavery and it was only what eighty um, four score and seven years so eighty seven years later, that this little country went to war to settle that question of could one man own another. That never—that didn't happen in his history at all, either. Stan? No.
8: Well, and history of peoples, uh, even with civil wars, those were not civil wars. They were revolutions, and it was basically, we've got to get rid of the crown. Um, but we're going to replace it with another group of people that will then be a new crown. In the United States, we replaced the authority or the ruler of the king with the authority and the rulership of the creator. So this is a declaration not only of independence, it also has a declaration of dependence written into it because we're, we're offering a alternative to man being the the ruler and the highest power, now we're acknowledging that there's a higher power in the Creator or God, and that's what we're relying on, and that's what gives us our rights, that's who we're uh, granted our equality under God. If the Creator's granting us equality, then we're accountable to the Creator. And so those kinds of concepts, I think, are what were the, the foundation of our nation, and I think we've been successful because we haven't put power in the hands of people. We've put we've kept power in the hands of the higher power, God.
1: Postmodernism, though, that we are seeing prevalent throughout the world right now, uh, mm-hmm. um, puts power the the focus not on the creator, but on. Really, I think, nothing with the foundation. What, you, what do you think about that?
8: Well, and, it, and that's been around since really, well, even before Marx. Marx just wrote it down. These are all Marxist ideas from the mid-1800s. A lot of people think Marx is a 1920s type of a uh, 20th century philosopher. In fact, he's much earlier than that. In the Civil War, Marxism was still around. But I think postmodernism is the uh, one of the manifestations of a Marxist perspective. And Marx starts his whole thing from a theological concept of atheism. So everything that Marx writes down and everything that's postmodern starts from there is no God, therefore man is God. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Old Testament, but every Old Testament story and profit and circumstance of society, basically is that same kind of trajectory of bell curve. You know, we're faithful, God's the leader, and now we've got a king, but the king has a son who's really a rotten soul, and so we just deteriorate into the crashing of those societies. So, but they are not starting with the premise that the people and the virtue in their hearts is really what's going to be where the power resides. All history has been rulers and subjects, and all people have always been under the oppression of rulers, or been granted privileges by rulers, not rights.
1: Uh, I I always say that, um, well, it's one of the things that we have on one of the openings, is uh, regarding special rights. If you give somebody special rights like women's rights or, um, um, well, just any special, any special rights, then you don't have equal rights. So I've always wanted to try to get to that ideal of equal rights and then also a big government and big business like each other because they can pick winners and losers. And that's again, not the role of government. So I'm just, I'm just thinking kind of what you're saying is we've moved here in contemporary America where our bureaucratic government has been, um, uh, kind of the, the rulers and the people. And I think people are waking up. We are reclaiming the principles of our founding because we see on the horizon the danger of this uh, Stan Everett
8: you're absolutely right Tim. I think the the encouragement that we see is you know go to school board meetings it's not just nobody there and they're just kind of going through the motions of passing more insanity Uh, not educational insanity but social engineering insanity but now you have pushback now you have Uh, lots of moms that are showing up at school board meetings. Um, You know, charter schools are proliferating. Uh, People are leaving the typical public schools and going to uh, more classical education and charters, or they're going to religious schools or private schools. Homeschooling, I think, has quadrupled in the last four or five years. So we we see... And this is kind of how the market works. You, you know, you get uh, an idea, and you're trying to promote the idea. But if the idea is bad, people will go someplace else. And so, what we're seeing is people going someplace else. And I think that's that's good. Choice is good. Uh, diversity is good in that context. Uh, but it's a power dynamic. So every time. Somebody leaves the public school, the public school loses not only money, they lose power. And so you're not going to overcome that without engaging in the power dynamic in opposition to what they're doing. And that's what we should be doing. And I see that happening in a lot of places and very pleased with that.
1: It is. And if there was a silver lining to covid uh it is the fact that I think parents saw what was happening in the classroom, and they're saying, "Wait a minute, this isn't okay," uh, and and so it created all the, these changes. And I always wondered what would um, break the control of the teachers' union over education. And then here you have this this COVID, um, the reaction to COVID. It, did that, and so I think the good Lord works in such mysterious ways, Stan Everett.
8: Okay, well, we're on the same page there, Kim. You know, give me a tragedy that doesn't have a silver lining. I've never seen one. So you can have a personal tragedy with death or illness or those kinds of things, but then you look at the legacy beyond the difficulty of that particular moment, And it usually influences people and uh, circumstances. There's always a silver lining. And I think, you know, I hear it at uh, different churches and in different environments that, you know, this country is being shaken and there's going to be a a challenge as to who's going to stand for the principles of this country and who's going to not. And um, I think I'm seeing more and more people standing up and saying, i got to participate, and I'm going to do it based on the principles of the nation, not on my political expediency, or how can I gain more power or money, which is what you're seeing in many of these, whether it's a union at the schools or whether it's a, a collaboration or a cronyism in the economy.
1: Well, and on that note, let's go to break. I'm talking with Stan Everett. He is the founder of the Legacy Project. And in our last segment, I want to talk about uh, the hope for America. And so we're going to go to break. We'll be right back uh, with Stan Everett. Medical freedom and personal choice are both sacred to comprehensive,
4: patient-first health care. At Roots Medical, our providers honor those rights diligently in every appointment. Located in Denver Tech Center, Roots Medical is a functional primary care clinic with
1: specialties in hormones, thyroid, gut health, detox, and COVID recovery. Establishing care with us is just a text message away, 303-569-6794.
3: For more information, visit rootsmedical.net. Roots Medical is a proud member of Colorado Healthcare Providers for Freedom.
1: And welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. Be sure and check out our website. That is uh, KimMunson.com, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter there. You can email me at kim at KimMunson.com as well. And thank you to all of you who support us. We're an independent voice. We search for truth and clarity by looking at these issues through the lens of freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And before we continue the conversation with Stan Everett, I want to give a shout out to the nonprofit that I've adopted, and that is the USMCMemorialFoundation.org. And they are raising money to remodel the Marine Memorial out at Sixth and Colfax. And this is so important. First of all, it honors those that gave their lives or were willing to give their lives, uh, for our country. But also they'll be capturing stories of our military. And the way you can help them, you can buy a brick to honor someone in your family who served in the military. And they have uh, walkways that will be for Marines and then one for all the different branches. But uh, also, you can just donate. Go to USMCMemorialFoundation.org. That's USMCMemorialFoundation.org. Uh, Stan Everett is on the line with me, and he is the founder of the Legacy Project, which really it, it, it helps people understand our founding documents, the, the, uh, the ideals that America was founded on, which is so unique throughout history. This was the first time where people came together and said, we can govern ourselves in this constitutional republic. Uh, So on that, we're going to talk about hope for 2022 America. But before we get to that, one of the themes of a word that is used regularly with the American founding and our citizenry from our founders is that we need to have a virtuous society a virtuous people. What does that word virtue mean to you, Stan Everett?
8: Well, virtue to me is a theological concept. Um, It's not a philosophical concept. I define philosophy as man's relationship within society, where I would define theology as man's relationship with God. So particularly in the context of the founding era, another word that was never used or hardly ever used is freedom. Uh, They always used liberty, and the concept of liberty... Is um, got theological components to it as well. So virtue, let me kind of define liberty in a theological context. It's free will, which is man's right to make choices and uh, the ability to make those choices and then direct them. In liberty, the idea is that you're going to make those choices and you're going to direct them to virtue. And then how is virtue defined in the Word of Liberty? Well, virtue is defined by the faith of the Founders, which was a Protestant Christian belief, theological. So virtue is, you know, uh, you could say it's the fruit of the Spirit. If you read uh, New Testament from Paul, there's a list of nine things that are the fruit of the Spirit, whether that's um, love, kindness, gentleness— The last one on that list is self-control. So uh, you've got this whole list of things that would be virtuous. I think people know the difference between right and wrong uh, in most cases, Um, and I think there still is implanted in the American spirit a sense of virtue that is necessary for people then to self-govern. You can't have self-control you can't have self-government without self-control. And so that's one of the virtues that's uh, listed from a New Testament standpoint. But it, it's fragile. Uh, it's something that is um, easily misunderstood and you referred earlier to postmodern concepts. And so virtue is then individually defined because morality is individually refined under that philosophy. And I think that is showing itself to be completely wrong and dangerous. And it always has shown itself to be wrong and dangerous throughout history.
1: So we've come through the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, into where we are in 2022. And coming out of the 60s, uh, the feminist movement, which the the I think really had its roots in marxism as well but the narratives were there that and and I thought hey if women wanted to work and have a career I thought that was great that was kind of what I thought women's uh, the women's movement was about but there was something actually I think more sinister uh about that and we're now seeing in 2022 all of these different things that came out of the 60s are playing out in our society now and I don't like what I see, but I think that there's a great awakening happening in America, and I think there's hope for America. How would you address that, Stan?
8: Yeah, well, and your example of feminism, I would contrast that to the example of the women's right to vote or suffrage. <clears throat> that all started in churches, that all started uh, as a theological, if all men are created equal, the Creator and men in that particular phrase is capitalized, so it's all mankind. So you have a civil war that fulfills that promise, you have a woman's suffrage, you have child labor laws. All of these things are based on a theological morality of equality under God. Now, the feminist movement of the 60s and 70s was based on a political idea of individual morality, and it's wrong for me to be Uh, placed as a woman and not equal with a man. And so it's a clouded version of the theological foundation that was the earlier movements. Even Martin Luther King, he was a reverend. His writings and his teachings were biblically founded. So they've taken that and they've turned those, those civil rights movements into... Uh, critical race theory and into you know the uh, relegation of fatherless families or the termination of fatherless families. So I think it all starts with a moral component, and I think we are seeing a rise not only in a moral uh, seeking of truth, but in the uh, undermining and in the chaos that you see in some of our institutions that have tried to follow this postmodern philosophy, and this political ideology, and are finding themselves unable to survive. Churches are falling apart all over the place. You may not notice that, but that's happening. Some are strengthening those that are seeking this truth. Most are failing because they really have just been oriented towards, you know, God is your friend, as opposed to your Lord and your Savior. Same thing in the economy, same thing in education, education, same thing in family. We're redefining family. We're redefining gender. All of those things really are the uh, distortion of truth, and it really doesn't align with our founding era anyway at all. So it's interesting. Again, go back to some historic, but I think in the future, we'll see further and further uh, alignment with a a truth-based society. That is seeking to be virtuous because they recognize the value of that for themselves as well as for their children, um, and so I, I'm optimistic, and I think uh, I, I see the turmoil that's in our society these days, and in my opinion, it's good. These are going to be good things that come out of it, just like you described earlier with uh, the school districts, you know, all of the turmoil and the problems, but. COVID woke a lot of people up to see what was actually going on there, and the consequences are now reshaping public education.
1: Well, and I think that it's important that we we realize it's not up to just these young parents that are uh, now realizing what's been happening in our education system, but it is uh, incumbent upon us as grandparents uh, us as community members to come in and support them and help them as they are, um, out there and they really are fighting some important battles out there where and sometimes i i say that we are in an ideological normandy and we're having to storm the beaches uh and it's been very entrenched but the great thing about normandy as as difficult as it was by the end of the day on june 6 1944 the allies ha- were on those beaches and i i think a lot of it the divine provider shows up when people are Awakening and um, and putting their faith back in Him and realizing that that there is something much bigger than just us and I think that is uh, an awakening that is happening again here in America. Stan,
8: mm-hmm. yeah, and I would challenge people in my generation, your generation. I think you're much younger than me, but <laughs> thank you. you. <laughs> got a lot of wisdom, uh, but I, you know, I, I look at generational choices that my father had to make in World War II in Korea, his father had to make in World War One, and you know, the, the turmoil of the Industrial Revolution in the late 1800s, the mid-1800s of the Civil War. Those generations, particularly of young people, uh, made the right decision. My generation, your generation didn't. We succumbed to the temptation of the 70s and the 60s, of free love, you know, open this, mm-hmm. drugs, all all that stuff. And even though we recognize that it's probably not healthy, we didn't do anything about it. So I think it's time for my generation, our generation, to re-engage. first thing I do to young people is apologize to them for not making the right decisions and not protecting you from what we're in right now. And that apology goes a long way to them listening to me. And I think that's important for us to do. You've got to repent before you're given to get granted forgiveness. And that's important, and I think it's something that we need to start to recognize. And then just don't walk away and say, well, I'm forgiven, so therefore everything's cool. No, you've, you've got to jump in, and you've got to participate, and you've got to overcome the bad mistakes and decisions by promoting and living the good life. Uh, that is going to exemplify virtue, nobility, and all the other things, self-control, etc. cetera. So uh, that, that's how I would like to promote uh, how we are going to solve this problem. It's not one generation that has to engage in solving this problem. It's all generations. And that's such an important thing in order for wisdom to be imparted to the younger generation, which is Obsessed with information, particularly over their telephones. So, how do you get them to do it? Well, you got to slow them down, and you got to build a relationship, and you've got to um, prepare them to be challenged in some thoughts, and then nurture them into uh, thinking in the terms of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and some of these founding principles. So, it's it's a challenge, but uh, we've been through a lot of challenges in our lives, and uh, the way you overcome them as you stay uh, vigilant and you persist and you make sure that you're steadfast in trying to help the next generation have a better life for themselves as well as their children.
1: And that has really been the American idea. When we think about these founders, and we have just a couple of minutes left that when they said that they pledged their lives, their fortunes and their sacred honor, they were serious. They signed that declaration of independence and, They could hear the British cannons down the river, and Britain was the most powerful nation on the face of the earth at that time. But they stepped forward in faith so that they could pass on liberties to the next generation. And we are still living on those those men and women that were doing that at that time. So what's your final thoughts you'd like to leave with us, Stan Everett? This has been fascinating. Thank you.
8: Yeah. Well, and you just uh, quoted the final line of the Declaration of Independence, but you forgot the precedent to that, which is, with firm reliance on divine providence. Mm-hmm. So they were pledging their lives, their fortunes, but they were relying in firm fashion on their providence, which is God's plan for humanity. So you can't ignore the faith component of how this society was built, and how this society is going to continue to succeed. So I encourage people to really look at that faith component and to take it seriously, because that is what's going to be the salvation of this nation. It's not going to be a new candidate. It's not going to be a better economy. It's not going to be whatever. It's going to be a faith-based revival. And I agree with you, we're in a revival, uh, maybe the Third Great Awakening or the Fourth. Um, but I think we're on the right track in order to take this country into the direction of, a, of, a, of the future that is going to be a successful nation.
1: Uh, Stan Everett, founder of the Legacy Project, uh, thank you so much. This has been such an important conversation, and I can just feel my heart uh, welling with hope uh, after this. So, again, uh, Stan Everett, Legacy Project, thank you so much.
8: Thanks a lot, Sam. it's always great to be with you.
1: And uh, definitely, and our quote for the end of the show is from Samuel Adams, and he said, If ever a time should come when vain and aspiring men shall possess the highest state of government, Our country will stand in need of its experienced patriots to prevent its ruin. So, my friends, today, be grateful, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. My friends, you are not alone. God bless you, and God bless America.